Geography Experience. Today we will be discussing and talking about the book, Are Your Eyes Wide Open? This podcast is brought to you by the East Studio 54 in Springdale High School. I am one of your co-hosts, Natalie. I'm a senior at Springdale High School. I am joined by my other two co-hosts, Halsey and Henry. I'll go ahead and let them introduce themselves. Hi, my name is Halsey and I'm also a senior at Springdale High School. Hi, my name is Henry and I am a junior at Springdale High School. Hi, welcome back. My name is Halsey. My hair is black and my skin is brown. Today I'll be talking about the people's initial reactions to climate change. Um, s- <laughs> sorry. <laughs> That's good. Um, I was not expecting that. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> um, so um, we're going to be reviewing the book um, Eyes Wide Open by Paul Fleischman. Um, the book just kind of goes over how people you know, kind of interpret and how they react to uh, climate change. And it kind of points out our misconceptions about it. And so Paul Fleischman kind of introduces the book with the first chapter, Perception. (coughs) And he kind of goes over how he's noticed global warming since he was like very young. And I think that's very prevalent and are more prevalent in the younger generation today. Um, More... When he grew older, he realized that things like trade groups would hire such things like lobbyists to fight laws and hire public relations to improve everybody's uh, opinion on a product or that portion of the industry as a whole, when really that would be just damaging to the uh, environment or people would not recognize that uh, such kind of things. Um, Also, misinformation would be spread around (laughs) by big corporations (coughs) to sort of quiet down or sort of distract people from global warming. And we often don't recognize the issue of climate change as a whole, or we just don't take it much into consideration ourselves because the more noticeable changes are usually far away. That was another point that uh, Fleischman brought up throughout the book, was that um, if we don't notice or if we know that a problem isn't isn't close to us, time-wise or location-wise, we're just not going to care about it. And so, for example, not everyone is very concerned about the melting ice caps because they're at the polar ends of the uh, Earth, and they're just far away and we're not concerned about it. And smaller uh, islands, such as the oceanic region, including the Micronesia, Melanesia, and Polynesia, that's their more concerned about it because the melting ice caps are directly uh, uh, affecting them as they're constantly having to rebuild their um, uh, walls since it keeps being eroded or breaking down by the forces of the water. Um, And we seem to uh, have different degrees in how we uh, direct our sense of urgency when our For example, when our country has been under attack, such as Pearl Harbor or 9-11, or even small things like last-minute shopping, 
right before Christmas and last minute mailing tax returns before April 15th, uh, Fleischman notes that we adapted this sense of normalcy with the effect of climate change since it's kind of a slow burn on everyone as a whole. And we like to put off things such as assignments rather than dealing with it here and now. So moving on to the reactions that people have with global warming, uh, Fleischman kind of focuses in on that with defense mechanisms, that chapter called defense mechanisms. Uh, the three main points that he brought up was denial, projection, and regression. The first being that it's one of the first defense mechanisms that people used to uh, go to. Uh, there's already a lot of people that we are that are aware of that. There's a lot of people that we are aware of that like to deny or debate the issue of global warming, and we just kind of have to either educate or argue back and just let them know that global warming is a thing, and that we just have to essentially work together to combat the issue. The second thing is uh, reaction, is projection, where people will just start to try to put the blame on other people, where they'll just say, oh, well, it's not my fault that, I, um, um, like, my small contribution is not going to help or um, make the situation any worse, and they don't want to be guilted over the issue of global warming and will like to depict, depict environmentalists as radicals who try to incite fear to the people when really we're just trying to, um, you know, help the earth. The last thing is regression, is where, um, as I mentioned earlier, uh, some people will just try to die the situation down, for lack of a better word. Um, they'll just, big corporations will just uh, hire uh lobbyists or talking heads to kind of advertise their products as like, oh, well, it's so good that we're not, you don't even have to think that we're <laughs> environmentally hurting ourselves. And so I guess the question that I'm wanting to want your input on is um, what essentially comes down to as, no, <laughs> correction, <coughs> what comes down to as to why <laughs> uh, big corporations are like having to mislead or misguide our direct uh, attention with their products in relation to global warming. That was so badly worded. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's okay. Um, well, you know, with the with corporations, with companies, uh, a lot of them. I'm not really sure if you would want to call them institutions, but they're businesses. Most of the time, they've been around for decades centuries and a lot of them they don't want to and a lot of them they don't really want to be the the last uh, the last ceo or the last management that has to end up um, ending the company this that or the other and a lot of them is it's not that financial times or like times are tight or like money is tight in their company but it's a sense of you know we've been doing this for x amount of years we want to keep being able to do this because this is our this is how we do our business so when um, it ends up their business is causing environmental um, environmental harm, uh, producing a lot of uh, carbon that is completely, which is not beneficial to any of us or our species or just the earth in general. And it's like, hey, we need to we need to really switch things up and try to focus on the preservation of our earth and the resources for future pre uh, generations. To them, it's like, 
well, you know, we want to do that for sure, but that just ends up ruining a lot of what we have been doing for a long time. And it's just really hard to change for those for those people. But the thing is, is we're not inherently running out of time, but we're running out of time. It's not we're, we're not going to die tomorrow with this mm. whole thing. But like you said, it was a slow burn. And humans, we love to procrastinate. You know, I saw, <laughs> I saw a TED talk a, a TED talk. I think it was last week. This guy he mentioned uh, how procrastinating <coughs> it's. So you have the reasonable brain, reasonable brain, and you have the monkey brain. So the monkey brain is oh, yeah. like, you yeah. know what? I'm just going to push it off for a little bit. You know, it's not a big deal. But then eventually, there's something called the like the big uh, scary monster or the spaghetti monster or something that you know waves his hands around. <coughs> it's like, oh, we're gonna die. We're gonna die. You must turn it in. We don't want to get to that point. We want to be responsible. We want to be the reasonable thinker. And it is going to be hard uh, for a lot of these companies, for a lot of our, you know, just our private abilities to do it. But we need to change. That's that's probably what I have to say on the thing. Mm-hmm. Natalie, do you have any thoughts? Well, I just wanted to comment on something. On how we watched this one video during uh, IB Geography during class. And it's basically talked about how some businesses are just so powerful because they have a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And these governments are basically like, going after those businesses so like they're a little bit even though yes it is our government uh they're kind of like below them because they want that money and that's why we have these lobbyists and people who influence you know these politicians uh through money and in the book i actually thought it was funny because it said that money talks but in politics it shouts and i thought that was a mm-hmm. that, th- that, was, that was really true and i thought it was really funny too yeah, the corporate influence that's on government is it's quite it's quite de- it's quite depressing because because of well I think it's quite obvious you know you want your voice to be heard not necessarily the the voice of those that are rich and powerful but and ha- the sad thing is that it happens with I would say probably all sides and it happens with most governments just today it's the whole little corruption thing of you know a few bucks here you know a few campaign do- donations here or there it just it's a big it's just frustrating that's what I'd have to say. Yeah, that was great. Thank you. Um, I guess my last thing that I want to bring up is um, in the beginning of the book, I mentioned that uh, Paul Fleischman, he noticed very early on around like elementary age that he noticed. I forgot what exactly, but he noticed, I think it was butterflies. That oh, were, they were it was bees. bees. It was, it was bees. bees. Yeah, yeah. He noticed that a lot of them were, were they dying out? Uh, yeah. He would notice that like every day. So my question for you guys, my last question would be that if, uh, like Fleischman and our the younger generation today, if we can recognize global warming, why do you think? Why don't you think uh, uh, the older generation or like these big corporations aren't like pushing for that? If little kids can recognize global warming, well, like you said, uh, denial. I really think it is denial, and also the book actually mentioned about how. You know, teenagers are just like they're they slack off and they don't do their responsibilities and all that stuff. But, but these adults, they're like they're not doing what what they're supposed to do. They're not helping with climate change. But it, I also think it's because we're so we don't even like we see the changes, but we don't act act on act upon them. You know, it's denial. Yeah. I really think it's just denial. To at least, you know, this is more anecdotal, um, I g- not evidence, but just experiences that a lot of the uh, the older generation, they've been living their life one way or another. And when it's told, you know, you've been, you know, you have, you've been unsustainable, you've <coughs> been living unsustainable, this, that, and the other. And it seems to a lot of them, it seems more like a personal attack because it's like, well, this is just how I've always lived. 
you know? Right. And I think that's a very understandable response, but with this, it's it, it goes with both. It kind of goes both ways. We need to make sure that we educate and that we're reasonable and we just try our best to be, I don't know, I'm not sure friendly is the nicest word, but, you know, we want to be convincing in order to really show that, you know, for change to happen because being angry at the other side does not help change, you know, happen unless it's like a full-on revolution but you know a lot of people end up dying there and you, you know what death is not really that cool so yeah. you don't want that to happen so i think that's probably the main reason why people it's just hard to change as a human but halsey yeah is, is that about all you have to think yeah that was magnificent guys thank you awesome okay so um this is henry speaking and <laughs> That, uh, that transition just went okay. We're going to hopefully uh, iron out the kink on the next one. But uh, what I am going to talk about today is the, the part, the, the future uh, that we have with um, climate change. And a lot of that was addressed in the book by Paul Fleischman. So it's switching to you know, renewable energies uh, realistically and what we really need to do in order to um, progress in order to just, and just also what we're going to see in the upcoming years. Um, there's a there's a chapter called Eyes Abroad and Ahead, and in it, um, it's about the the future of technologies and debates and how emerging economies such as China and India will make an impact on the environment. So right now, in with the uh, the emerging economies of China and India, right now they uh, experience a lot of um, they're experiencing a lot of economic growth, but with that, they have a very high energy uh, demand. And with that demand, it's, you know, there's not enough renewables in order to fulfill that demand for energy. So they switch to coal, they switch to natural gas, they switch to oil, a lot of these fossil fuels that are extremely cheap for energy production. And with that, that just ends up producing a lot of pollution. I think uh, recently in the news, um, I'm trying to think, maybe it was a few years ago, I can't really think, but the Indian city of Delhi, they went under a very large, thick cloud of smog for multiple weeks because the way that Delhi sits, it's within a valley, if I'm not mistaken. And the winds that come from the monsoon seasons were able to kick up all the smog, the dust, and all the pollution from the energy-producing plants to the northwest-ish of the city and were able to funnel it down into the valley. And there it was um, – the visibility was very low and the um, – the air quality was like if you smoke three packs of cigarettes a day. So, oh no, yeah, that's not good. Chain smoking is not good, and that's not good either. That's for sure. Uh, so that's kind of that's how they make an impact. And with a lot of those energy productions, it's like it's truly China and India. They have billions of people that they have to use energy for. Uh, India does not use as much energy as the U.S. does per capita, and that's one of the things that the it kind of it tries to address. Kind of going back to our textbook. And going back to the looking ahead is that a lot of these really wealthy countries, such as the United States and most of Europe, these HICs, the high-income countries, is that to a certain extent it's um, that we have an obligation. I'm not sure if it would be moral or ethical, but an obligation to bear these upfront costs to a lot of these renewable technologies beforehand. Um, a lot of these developing countries can get around to actually afford it because we have the money, we have the wealth to better – um, adapt to the changing, uh, what would the word be, the changing um, field of energy production. So that's the that's one of the whole things. And then he also in the chapter, um, Eyes Abroad and Ahead, uh, a lot of these technologies that were uh, discussed were like carbon capture, 
And a lot of these companies, you know, the energy producing companies, when they have, oh, we have a new technology that's going to help keep fossil fuels even cleaner. And the big one that he f- chose was uh, clean coal. You know, coal um, is very dirty, I guess you can say, to begin with, to, well, to say the least, rather. And it's just a big black chunk of carbon and, you know, stuff that burns really hot and bur- makes a lot of electricity, but it really is not beneficial for our environment. So with clean coal, uh, he c- kind of describes that it has less of a carbon content um, that actually ends up being emitted, and it's more efficient when it's burned, but it still releases, like, a crap ton of carbon. I don't remember the exact amount, but it's just a lot. Mm-hmm. So even with that clean carbon, it's still very unsustainable. And, yeah, um, so... And also the whole push for carbon neutral. Um, it still means that, like, it still means that companies are able to use fossil fuels to a large degree, this, that, and the other, and still not benefit the environment. But it means that, like, how do I phrase this? Being like how I think Amazon has a commitment to 2040 to go carbon neutral. So with that, it's like they still have jets. They still have, you know, a lot of these big warehouses that use uh, carbon and fossil fuel, uh, well, fossil fuels for electricity. So the whole push for carbon neutral is that they plant trees, they do, they invest in carbon storage and capture and other technologies in order for it to go neutral. But to a certain extent, it's unrealistic and they can still do bad things to the environment. But I, so that's kind of like the whole thing within the book, that it's not really as, it's not true as you say with the with the whole carbon neutral thing. It's to a certain extent a scam because it, the definition is kind of, broad there's no really metrics or trusted metrics that you can say oh yeah i'm going carbon neutral by that so um yeah and there's a so and then for the future of energy the main ones that he listed were um uh were of course solar uh, solar panels and solar electricity wind uh energy geothermal and um using waves because those are the most sustainable that they can have, but also there's been other countries that have really done well with um, other alternate energies. One example is France. They've done a lot of nuclear power. It ends up being about 70% of their entire electrical grid is powered by nuclear. But with nuclear, you know, you have, it produces just steam, but also it has nuclear waste at the end, which is uh, no bueno whatsoever. Um, That ends up uh, poisoning a lot of the underground aquifers if not properly stored. Even though the storage has gotten better, it's just still, it takes hundreds of thousands of years for it to just decay to for to its half-life it still has much more half many more half-lives it needs to decay to decay to for it to be well better and somewhat healthy to the environment if uranium can ever be healthy to the environment so <laughs> um he also mentioned fusion but fusion's still far out ahead kind of the joke is that fusion's always 20 years ahead uh, ahead my uh kind of fun, uh, funny is that my dad back in the 80s when he was in high school the whole debate was you know fusion and so it's, o- it's only like 20 years ahead but that was back in the mid 80s and now it's 2021 <laughs> it's like well it's been like 36 and i don't see any fusion around but you know that's just what happens it takes it takes time and we have a lot of really good resources that we can use now in order to get those but there's a lot of corporations there's a lot of influences that prevent that to happen and there's just a lot of like Halsey going off of the whole perception thing and who actually controls what. Um, that's it's just there's not enough. There's not a lot of progress being made that could be made. There's not enough compared to the potential progress we could have. So, my question to you is: What are your guys' thoughts on the future of energy um, in the in the U.S. or just around the world? Do you think we're going to switch to renewables pretty quickly, or do you think it's going to still take some more time than 
would, would be ideal. Well, I, I'm surely hoping that we, you know, that we switch to renewable energy pretty fast, but I don't think so. I don't. I think it's gonna take some time, and I know like during the 1970s when uh, the Middle Eastern countries like they stopped uh, exporting their oil, you know. Yeah, the OPEC em- embargo. Yes. Oil embargo. Yeah. The USA, it, a tenth of its oil came from those Middle East Middle Eastern countries. And even that, like, they still felt those effects. And I know they had to, like, they reduced their uh, their speed limits to, like, 55 miles per hour in the highways. And uh, they also they also did a thing where, like, uh, odd-numbered driver's license would go on, like, odd-numbered days. And uh, in Europe, uh, they, did, they did switch to non-renewable energy, I mean. Like in Denmark, they switched to wind power, and I think they're like the leaders now in wind power. And then in Japan, they switched to, they really used uh, electricity because they were very dependent on uh, oil from those Middle Middle Eastern countries. But I think it is going to take some time for, uh, you know, the world to switch to renewable energy. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I agree with Natalie. I think it just... I mean, I just hope that we do change, like, substantially. But I think it's going to take a a lot of time. Um, I know that the younger generation likes to, we like to pride ourselves for being the most environmentally aware. But I think we still (laughs) contribute a lot lot to uh, an aspect of global warming. Um, Yeah, I think it'll just be all up to whether our generation and, like, the future younger generations will, like, take a stand and if they can just get the attention or, like, the care of, like, these bigger, more uh, corporal, you know, businesses. Um, but I know in uh, Serbia, uh, the government is implementing these um, these non-governmental organizations to put their input on their, with, like, corporate businesses to, like, combat against um, a lack of water sources in their country. So, yeah, I think it'll just be, it'll just come down to uh, some sort of agreement or compromise between the people and the bigger businesses. Well, uh, I want to thank both of you for answering my questions. I think that's the, um, what is my only question that I have, and I'm just... Thanks for listening in to my little spiel. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. Okay, I am Natalie, and I will be speaking about three topics. So the first is deceptive names, and that was in uh, perception. So a lot of these businesses, and you know, that have a lot of that produce a lot of fossil fuels, they have these names that think that for the public. Like, oh, it sounds good, you know, it doesn't sound bad. It, that sounds like it's helping the environment. And some examples are Citizens for Recycling First, and that's actually a coal industry front group promoting the use of coal ash. And another example is Greening Earth Society, and it's actually in favor of carbon dioxide emissions. And the Wise Land Use Movement in the Western U.S. that actually promotes uh, mining and property owners 
rights to do what they want with their land. And I feel like um, Henry actually said this. I think it was Cole. He said clean coal. Yes, that's what it was. Uh, a lot of these businesses use names, uh, like I said before, that sound like they're helping the environment, but in reality they're not, and they're actually doing more harm. And I think that's a strategy the businesses use to, uh, you know, like get away and whatever, get away with whatever they're doing. And something else that uh, I found interesting in the book was the technology. You know, sometimes the situation. I think it was in the situation becomes problem. So tech can help us in the long can help us, but in the long run it might unexpectedly, you know, cause new problems. Uh some examples are synthetic fertilizers that help prevent famines, uh would lead to depleted oxygen in lakes and river delts. And lead was actually added to paint and that increased durability and protection against corrosion. And uh, trans fat was uh, trans fat gave us margin, but all of these were linked to cancer or serious health problems. Um, and also, uh, there was this. It talked about um, fluorofluorocarbons. I think I'm pronouncing that right. CFCs. Yeah, th- you're correct on that. That's like the aerosols, right? Yes, and basically. Uh, they were uh, used in cans from shaving cream, deodorants, the greasers, discarded refrigerators, and stuff like that. And that actually created an ozone hole. And it led to, you know, everybody was using these. You know, it was, it was like, popular or whatever. But uh, in 1984, when that ozone hole was discovered, it was, you know, people were like, oh, no, we, we need to, like, reduce this, and we can't use this anymore. And it was actually... Um, and yeah, these are not used anymore. Um, also, I think Halsey already kind of touched on it, uh, touched on this, but it was the power of companies. You know, climate change was first mentioned in the 1980s, and that was kind of like, oh no, you know, these businesses were like freaking out and saying, no, we can't have this because it's gonna hurt our business and we're gonna lose money. And um, fossil fuel lobbyists actually saw this as a threat to its interest and began work on disconnecting their product from global warming in the public mind. Uh, they also use this thing called sowing doubt, which is basically like um, they made people doubt, you know, that climate change was a thing. Uh, fossil fuels interests have the popularity and money to demand the perspective to be heard on TV, newspapers, radio, and even school textbooks. So they have that power and that money, you know, um, compared to like us citizens. Like, we don't have the pa- we don't have the money, but through donations and um, I feel like if everybody, if if a lot of people, a lot more people spoke up, you know, there could be ch- some change. Um, because the government, it's not going to do anything if like only a few people are trying to you know, be uh, do some change. But, like, if, let's say, the whole United States were like, oh, no, no, we're, we need to do something about climate change, the government will, you know, they can't, like, be ignorant to that. And they'll, um, they'll be like, okay, you know, we got to do something about this. Right. Um, so I guess now my question to y'all 
is um I actually don't have a question for y'all. <laughs> <laughs> is there anything you guys want to add or comment? Um, I think I've I've said, or you guys have said, most of the things that I was thinking. So I think overall we all did a pretty good job on just kind of talking about what the, the book was about and kind of our thoughts on that and what the, the IRL in real <laughs> life. Yeah. <laughs> I think it just, our final steps is to just give our last thoughts and then, who would we recommend the book to? Um, I would recommend the book to anybody who's curious about climate change and about a lot of the influences that are behind it because all this book, although this book is about climate change, the main thing it focuses on is the actual influences behind what we see, why we see it, a lot of those things that you really don't know, kind of getting into the dirt. Uh, I think it's going behind the environmental headlines. So if you really um, – if you're if you're interested in climate change or just want to know more of who decides what and how and why that's happening, uh, this is an excellent book for you. So I would say open to most people, and I would specifically recommend this to teens. Yes, I would have to agree with Henry. Yeah, the book did a very good job of having very a lot of visuals to appeal for the younger generation with a short attention span. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I think are we are we done? I think so. Okay. Close it off. Um, I, I can close it off if that's okay with you guys. Yeah. Yeah, that's fine. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, firstly, I want to thank everyone to listening for this podcast. Uh, I want to remind you that this podcast is brought to you by East Studio 54 and the Spring Hill High School. And Spring Hill High School. Um, yes, we are Bulldogs. Uh, we are Spring Hill High School Bulldogs. So uh, that being said, you guys have an awesome day. And yeah, just... Keep your ears open. Keep your eyes open. Just be aware of the world around you. All right. Oh. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> also, Bye. be aware of the SHS Bulldog Stream Team. Thank you. Yes. Shout out to the Stream Team. Hey, okay. Okay, that's... <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's say this before I say anything dumb. All right, bye. Bye.